I'm Will Patch, host of the Enrollment Insights Podcast and Enrollment Marketing Leader here. I'm thankful to all of you who have listened and the surprising volume of positive feedback I've gotten over these past nine months. To end the year, I've pulled together some of my favorite segments with guests on three themes, professional development and leadership, marketing and communications, and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I hope you enjoy this format, and here's to a much better and safer 2021. I look at life in general as just a series of trials and errors. And, um, you know, once I get over the emotional response that's that's natural to any uh, failure, I try and look back and, and learn from where I went wrong. What was my contribution to the ultimate uh, negative result? And try and put it in perspective with everything else that's going on and, and learn from it. Failing forward is something that you can either revert back to what didn't work and just kind of keep in that same cycle or, okay, this this sucked and this did not go as planned, but what did we learn? I challenge them to kind of look at our things like that. And, and it's just exciting as a leader to see them grow throughout those pieces. As a leader, it, it also helps me to see them think critically uh, so that when we're dealing with really big situations, I know that they can think outside of the box and, and that they're equipped. I think as a leader that's now managing two departments, I I really am trying to be very mindful not to be the bottleneck. I don't think that everything needs to be touched by me. I want my team to say, you know what, Susanna, we were in the middle of doing this and this was a decision that we made and here's why. And trust that they know, okay, this is this was good, this was not good, and then we can reconvene. Oh man, I think the the first thing that I tried that didn't work was I tried to fit myself into the mold of folks who I thought were really successful because I thought, well, if I act this way and if I look this way and if I sound this way, then it worked for this person. So it has to work for me. So I can't afford to be my true self. And man, did I learn very quickly that that is not the case. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> people are more concerned with authenticity and genuineness more than replicating another model of something else for someone else. One thing that comes to mind right away is really our, our search outreach for this last year in uh, the spring of 2019. We have mostly historically done our search completely in-house. At the same time, we're really rather small staff and um, we really wanted to add um, more digital social media marketing to the campaign. So we reached out to a local vendor that was recommended to me. In the end, I really certainly wasn't happy with the uh, results just in terms of the inquiry rates. One of the things I found in going through that process with the local vendor was that I had questions early on and I I need to do a better job of trusting not only my internal ex- my expertise, but the internal expertise of our team in as we work with outside vendors, that the vendors do come to each project with certainly a lot of background, but we also come with a great deal of knowledge. And we need to make sure that we trust that early on and, and make so we don't get too far down the road before we find out we um, would have done things differently. I had the idea that it would be great if we helped the admissions counselors by having a structure to hold a conversation. 
through my research and through, you know, putting some materials together, created an acronym for this structure. And, you know, it was very laid out of, you know, an introduction and, you know, kind of a getting to know you and more asking about their college search and then having some kind of ending to the conversation of moving them to the next step in the process, whether that's, you know, to inquire, to apply, to visit. And as we started implementing it, I came to the realization that, you can't structure conversations with students. Can you guide the conversation? Absolutely. But you need to have an organic conversation with a human being. And so in my attempt to be helpful to our admissions counselors and our admissions staff in creating an easy way to make sure you're hitting all of your points, it almost became too formalized. And so um, I think walking away from that experience and also thinking back on that experience, again, it, 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 this is an organic process. This is a human process. Um, you know, that is the role of an admissions counselor is to have a human connection with a student. And what we know about this process too is it is emotions-based and it's all about that connection with the people and the campus. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, at least my observation from working in several sectors of higher education, whether this be in academic medicine, working with graduate students and importing new systems, working with alumni, graduate students across the board, everyone wants to do better. And so everyone starts a new group to identify the problem and figure out the situation, not realizing that there are a lot of groups doing the same initiatives across campus. This really uh, stifles our ability to innovate, and it's it's really hard to figure out how to solve problems when everyone across the board is, is doing the same thing. This was many years ago. I was working at CSU, and we wanted to kind of ride the momentum of our football team being in a bowl game. So we got really excited, recut our 30-second promo, put an admissions emphasis on it. We quickly rebuilt the admissions homepage, which we were sending them to at the end of the video, set up some dashboards to track, and uh, sat down. The game started, and we're watching the numbers, and nothing really happened. So <laughs> we kind of looked at that, and we're like, what's going on? And ultimately, we didn't really have a strong call to action. We didn't have a clear, here's what's next once you get to the homepage beyond just uh, kind of improving that experience a little bit. So it was this really big, quick, heavy lift that we all did. And I think it just came back to the lack of a specific focus or goal before we got started. We were just excited about the opportunity. So we jumped in, but I think it could have been way more successful if we took one more deep breath before doing all of that work and kind of looked at exactly who we were trying to talk to and why we were trying to get them to the website. It's more of a collaborative process, I would say, of while, you know, I am their supervisor and able to provide organizational goals, I also want to be responsive to what goals they have in terms of their position and also their career. And so there's certainly times where a team member will have a goal that is specific to maybe learning something that's not within their skill set right now. Or there's a specific part of their role that they really want to focus on in this next year that they haven't been able to focus on previously. Uh, and so it really is a collaborative process and being able to, you know, make sure that our team, but also they as a staff member are successful. The assessment of any goal 
is probably the most important part of goal setting at, at the get-go, is being able to then assess those goals. The way that we get there, though, again, we're, we're taking checkpoints throughout the year. Uh, and so we are doing a once-a-month goals review. And it's not, you know, saying, okay, what, what have you accomplished? Um, you know, and, and you know, a, a harsh look at that, but it's just saying, okay, how far along are you with this goal? And where do you need to spend a little bit more time? As we've been doing those, we've been able to say, okay, you know, you've made really good progress within this area, but maybe we need to focus on a, another goal, or maybe we need to pivot with this goal. Maybe this goal, uh, can change. And I think that's a really important too with goals in general, knowing that you can change them, right? Um, if it's not meeting your needs or you may find a different need, it's pivoting and being able to update those. My career's almost 30 years in the business now, and it took me a long time to stop trying to be good at things that I'm inherently bad at. But I've learned that in the last few years or so to instead of trying to right my wrongs, find other people who can compliment me. Something I really learned as I've, you know, made the, made the jump in career moves here is the power of holding leaders accountable a little bit more in the education of their own people, right? And higher ed, I don't, I don't think we're often, we, we say we're very metric driven and we are, right? Because it, enrollment, it, it's all about the numbers. And, but when it comes to developing talent and developing the people on our teams, we don't often put any metrics behind that. For me, as middle managers and as, as others who are looking to move into management, questions that you should be asking yourself is, okay, when I present a problem, and I, am I presenting just the problem or am I starting off with the solution to a problem? Um, and that was one of my mentors shared that with me. You know, managers, leaders already have enough problems that they're dealing with. So for you to bring up one, it would be very helpful for you to bring one up, but also bring up a solution. Because again, we don't always know it all. And so to have someone who can can critically think that way and say, Susanna, this is this is what I'm thinking in the midst of what we have going on. This is the problem I'm identifying, but this is a solution that I think can work. I'm going to have more faith in that after kind of seeing it day in and day out, because the truth of the matter is too, Will, that some of the problems that they're bringing up to me, I have been so far removed that I don't know the solution right away. So it's going to take me a little, a little bit of time to come up with one. So when you have one already kind of thinking ahead of the curve, then that is helpful to to your leader, to your manager. I had a supervisor that was instrumental in helping me become the professional I am today. Her name is Kishan Zuber, and she now works at Wilkes University. She once told me that her mission is to lead in higher education and to promote the benefits of higher education to students that respond to that message. It's not institution-specific her mission at the end of the day is to get prospective students and families to think about higher education and how it can make their lives better. That definitely changed the way that I approach my work because I'm no longer looking at it from you should come to this particular school, but you should think about going to school at all. To paraphrase what she told me then, it was, we want to show them why it's important to apply, not to get them to apply, because even at the end of the day, if they don't apply to our institution, they will have thought about higher education as a possible avenue for their future. If that's the case, then she's done her job as a higher education professional.
And that really changed my perspective on why I do the work that I do. One of the marketing agencies that we used to work with at Wells, the the president of the agency told me something that has always stuck with me and is now one of my most valuable professional principles, which is one, do something and two, make it better. Especially creatives can get really mired in the process of making it perfect and not only making it perfect, but only also making it work and have a really visible ROI to convince leadership that what you're doing matters. It's really important to get the train on the tracks and just start the train and keep it moving. So first step is do something. (laughs) When you're looking at this pile of laundry that you have to fold, start with the first thing that you see. Just grab it, fold it, put it away, and then go on to the next thing. Your second step should always be look back at what you've done and make it better. Don't underestimate the value of revisiting old ideas or processes. A lot of my new ideas and projects actually come from old ones. I'm looking back and seeing if how I can improve them. Just because something works and has worked doesn't mean it can't work better. One of those things that I do here constantly is, is research. I know that sounds a little boring, but when you, when you do research, every, every college, every organization, every business has research questions that they need to answer. We're so busy being practitioners and we're on that little, you know, that wheel and we've got to stop and, and in a very con- comprehensive way, try to answer our own problems from a research standpoint. And when you do that properly, you have to look at what everybody else is doing. And when you start going through and reading, and like if your goal is to do a better job of transfer, if you go out there and you read every article, every peer-reviewed journal article, and um, the work of others, and you know some organizations like Lumina or some of these other organizations that put out National Student Clearinghouse and you become sort of a mini expert and you start to really understand what's going on out there so you don't step into the same potholes that someone else has stepped into. If you, if you walk into a room and you want to solve a problem, but you really don't know where everyone else is on this problem and what's being done, I think that's one of the real pitfalls. I am someone who is very passionate about continual learning. And I think that is something that I push, you know, my team to do is to continually learn not only about themselves, but also about the profession, other institutions, other ways of thinking. And so I have a pretty aggressive, you know, way of going about this in terms of, you know, getting my hands on any kind of information, such as different podcasts like this one. Uh, So um, love your podcast, Will. And so (laughs) blogs, websites, webinars, different professional development resources, and quite honestly, just reading as much as possible. I also tell my team, you know, especially my counseling staff, that I know that the most important work doesn't happen coming out of my office because by the time they get to me and at my level, they're either really happy or really annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so if I can empower them to be able to make decisions in terms of making sure that the experience of our students, of their family is top notch and different than anything else that they've encountered, I'm going to trust that you know that. If for some reason it goes horribly wrong, then 
that's why I'm here, right? I can step in, I can roll up my sleeves and say, okay, let me let me take over from here on out. Because I think to a certain degree, they're still expecting you to lead. But in the same token, especially with the young people that are coming into the workforce right now, they're very opinionated, they're, they're big dreamers, they have some really great ideas. And so I don't want them to feel like they're hitting a roadblock. And I, I also don't want to paint this picture that anything goes. As the leader, you have to kind of put certain things into place and, and say, okay, that, that was really great, but not right now. There are three answers, yes, no, and and wait. And it's in that waiting period where those really great ideas that maybe for this moment don't work, later on, well, we can really make something big happen. The first thing that, that I was very fortunate to inherit was a team that was fairly senior. I only had one recruiter starting who had less than two years experience. So I was able to innately have a high level of trust uh, to make sure that they were going to do what they said they were going to do and what they needed to do to succeed. You need to really ensure that when you are hiring, that you are hiring someone who has the skill set and has the personal drive to do what they need to do. So I think I said that it's about hiring intelligently and focusing on their work ethic and ability to work autonomously. You also have to be very concrete with onboarding to make sure that it's been done effectively throughout the process as well. And you're prioritizing what's really important. Another piece of this for me is tracking the metrics without asking about it. For especially those of us in the emissions field, that's leveraging technology, CRMs, and reporting systems in order to be able to track those goals. Our model, like you said, is unique. My nearest coworkers, 200 miles away, the nearest person I manage is 200 miles away, and they're all working autonomously themselves. So I really had to, I really had to spend some time and set the expectations for the team very concretely, especially after I kind of first stepped into the role and was like, this doesn't seem to be firing quite the way I want it to. I took the opportunity to email out kind of a document that was my my expectations and said, here's what I'm going to expect of you, and here's what you also can expect of me. Um, and I manage a team of nine. Uh, that's a full-time job in and of itself, plus a new recruitment and working with students, which is a full-time job too. So having those expectations of when, they, when my staff can expect a response, as well as uh, just different things that I'm going to do, different things I'm going to promise, whether it's trying to be as transparent as I can or provide as much support as I can remotely, uh, that's, that's really important. And the other thing I had to learn, and this took a little bit more time, and I think this is a good, good tip for anyone, whether you're working or leading remotely or doing it in person, is everyone has a different communication channel and a different process that they go through. So you really have to work to explore it. I think when you enter a workplace as a young professional, you immediately start needing to draw lines in the sand. You need to identify your boundaries of what is work and what does work mean to you and what does work look like to you and what all those things mean to your coworkers and supervisors and team members around you. The people-oriented lessons of failure that I've learned as a young professional are ones that have taught me what my boundaries are and how comfortable I am as a person at work with my coworkers and how vulnerable I should be or should not be, how much I should share about myself and what drives me and what work means to me personally. I'm a cheerleader by nature. I'm a shot of caffeine. It doesn't always work. People don't always want cheerleaders around. Um, and so sometimes reading the room is super important. It's probably one of the most important skills that I've developed as a young professional is knowing which version of myself I should be at work. Don't be afraid to ask questions, right? Whether they are 
questions that can help hold a leader accountable, whether they are questions that can help provide you information that helps build equity, right? Whether they are questions that you ask students to help assess better fit for them, um, or whether there are questions that you're asking yourself, right, about what what you want to happen in your own development, and then you know continue to ask yourself, well, what do I need for that to happen, and who do I need to go to, and where does that conversation need to start? So there's so much power in questions that I hope people can can take forward with them. One of the things that's really challenging for people working in higher education is that the stakes always seem so high when they really aren't. Um, I was really fortunate uh, to, to work with somebody uh, at one point earlier in my career who was um, my boss that came from a crisis background and, and truly a, a crisis background where she was in charge of communications for the New York Fire Department during September 11th. And she always reminded me, you know, that when a, a crisis really was the first question you ask is how many people have died. And so anything underneath that is not much of a crisis. And that was really important perspective to have. And I think, um, you know, we tend to put too much emphasis on word choice or what picture is being used on this website or those kinds of things, which, which really are, are not failures in, in any way. 